We're in the book of Haggai. So if you don't have your, your Bible, you can turn there. No one knows the future. God does. God in his word, as we're going to look and read today, is we're going to see how God was seeing through the future and planning out his work and his purposes in the earth despite what was going on. Um, and he's even able to control it all. Uh, so if you've been with us for a while, we're in Haggai. That's the third to last book in the Old Testament. It's a prophet, a prophet who's speaking to God's people, the first prophet to speak to God's people when they return from their exile. God's people who God called out of Babylon by Abraham, right? That's where Abraham was from, in that area where Babylon was. He called him out. He brought him to a land, made a promise to make him into a nation that would be a blessing to all nations, that the one, the Messiah, would come through his line. God worked with his people through all sorts of stuff, right? Even slavery. They were enslaved to the Egyptians, having to do crazy things, like make the same amount of bricks without straw. Um, and God rescued his people out of the hand of the most powerful nation in the known world at the time. He brought them through a desert for 40 years because they're disobedient, but he still loved them. Even the clothes on their back stayed good for 40 years. I don't know how to understand with the kids when they grow up, like how does that get passed on, but God kept his people in mighty, miraculous ways, right? He turned, he put, brought water out of a rock he gave them food to eat every single day, and then he brought them into a land and won massive victories after massive victories through a small people against people who had been entrenched for a long time in the land of promise. And God's people, not one generation afterwards, left the God who had called them, the God who had rescued them, the God who had saved them, and the God who had brought them into their land of promise. And there's this cycle back and forth, back and forth, and God's giving prophecies, saying, if you follow me, things go well with you. If you do not follow me, things don't go well with you. And they didn't. And God exercised his discipline on his kids and allowed a wicked pagan nation to come in and take them out. Not only take them out, wipe out his temple. God's like, it's okay. I, don't, I don't even need the temple. It was there to point you to me. But if you're not looking at me, then I'm going to allow things to come into your life to, keep, to, to direct you back towards myself. And so he did. He sent them back to Babylon, and then he promised to bring them back. And Haggai comes up. When they come back, they leave Persia at the time now, right? Because Babylon was taken over by Persia, and Persia sends his people back, and his people come, and they lay a foundation, they're celebrating, and then they do what they always do, forget their God. They forget the one who's rescued them. A little taste of prosperity is like poison to the people of God. 
And they neglect the work that they were sent to do because they were afraid of what was happening in front of them. They were, they were looking at the near-term, around-themselves difficulties and going, I can't do it, can't continue. You know what, it'd be better for me to live a little easier, work on my farm, grow my crops, get the, these trees established again, so I have food for my family. And so for 16 years, they were doing this. And for 16 years, they were not receiving what they thought they were putting in. And for 16 years, God was passionately pursuing his people through famine, through an inability to produce food for themselves, saying, you are looking for sources of supply to fill yourself that is not in me, and it will never fill yourself. Come to me. And so he sends his prophet Haggai to speak to his people to call them back on mission and faithfulness. And so we've looked through this, through this amazing little book where God calls his people to consider their ways. Think about what you're doing. Through this little book, as God's people consider their ways, God revives his people. God takes the embers that are almost burnt out and he blows on them again and revives the passion of his people for God's kingdom and God's glory. And last week we were kind of towards the end of this book and we saw that God actually chooses to take defiled, broken people and use them to be the ones through whom he builds his temple. God himself is able to cleanse the most broken person, the most defiled person, and make him into someone who's able to adequately represent who God is. And God's desire to bless his people here, moving forward, will work out. So if you have your Bibles open, we're going to look at the last um, four, three verses, actually. And we're going to read that right now. Um, the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and overthrow the thrones, the throne of kingdoms. I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders. And the horse and the rider shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Sheatiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring. For I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. And that's how Haggai ends his message. Haggai ends his message with a second word from the Lord on the same day that he had given the previous word from the Lord. A promise to bless his people. A promise to come and, and, and make sure that they have the provision that they need for life. 
A promise we could rephrase is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you, O people. A calling to Zerubbabel, Joshua the high priest, and the, and the remnant to get to work. Realign your priorities. Seek after the Lord. Build his kingdom. And after that, a second prophecy comes to Haggai. And that second prophecy is directed to the leader of the people. And he speaks to Zerubbabel by name, and he gives him a prophecy of what's happening. And as he's speaking to Zerubbabel, he makes a statement that helps us to understand that this statement here is not necessarily intended for Zerubbabel in his time frame in its sense, but it's moving towards a prophetic timeline for Zerubbabel of what God's going to do in the future. On that day, on the day of the Lord, I will do this. Now, we, we can look at this and we look at it and we can think through in different realms or, or areas of, of, of life. Um, I don't know, I'm not really explaining this very well. Um, we can look at this in different ways, different perspectives, right? We can look at Zerubbabel and we can look at the task that he's assigned to. Uh, we know from other accounts, right, this is still a hard time to be in Israel. There are still enemies who are actively seeking to hurt and harm God's people. Uh, Zerubbabel is governor of Judah, right? Not king. Zerubbabel is not autonomous and independent. God's people don't have their own kingdom at this time. They are ruled by Persia. They will again be ruled by Greece. They will then be ruled by Rome. All these things are going to happen. But Zerubbabel was in this time and needed encouragement, right? God's speaking to the leader here. There's a certain weight that sits on a leader's shoulder. There's a certain difficulty of life that is on top of the shoulder of a leader. Especially in this day and age. And a people, not only as this leader knows, this people is very quick to get off track and very hard to encourage. And there's a lot of work to be done, and we're not exactly sure how we're going to do all this. But we have to build this temple, and God is saying, Zerubbabel, again, be strong and courageous. I will be with you. He speaks to Zerubbabel himself, but then he speaks naming himself as the Lord of hosts. Or you could translate again, the Lord Almighty. Or you could translate again, the Lord who rules over all. Zerubbabel, I've given you a task. I know how difficult it is. But I am God over everything. I rule over everything. And I am able to move and shake everything to align with my purposes for the world. Right? So he, he speaks to him, right? I am able to fulfill 
what I decree. God is going to establish his rule and his reign in the world. And there's nothing that can stop him. So what does he say? He goes through a lot of different things in here, right? I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth, right? I'm about to shake the universe. You guys know how big that is? Taking a moment to look at the sky. Have you, we're sitting in here. I don't know if anyone looks at the slides that go across here. But we have pictures from Ron Warden up here of the beauty of the galaxies. We, we can't even calculate how large that thing is. We just keep on trying to calculate it, and it seems like it's growing faster and faster as we try to calculate it. I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. And overthrown the throne of kingdoms. God is going to overthrow the royal thrones in the earth. The kingdoms that are there. The ones that are terrifying. The ones who actually have authority to do bad things. The ones where we were just under oppression and because of them having a good day, we are out allowed to go back to where we wanted to go. But that could change at any moment. Not only is he going to overthrow those, he's going to destroy their strength and their military might. He's going to overthrow their horses and their riders. And he's going to cause those who have evil intent to fall by the same weapons they're using for evil intent. Zerubbabel, I know the task that I have for you is immense, but remember who I am. This, and this isn't a new thing that the Lord's saying, right? Psalm 46, come behold the works of the Lord, how he's brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. But God's not revealing anything new to Zerubbabel, he's reminding Zerubbabel of what Zerubbabel should already know. This comes from the Psalms. These are songs that God's people sang. You know what God's people have sang for a long time? You know what God's people sing truths of who he is? Because it reminds us of who he is? And God is, God is immensely strong and able and capable to accomplish what he wants to accomplish through his people. So he speaks to Zerubbabel. And not only does this, but he says this kind of strange thing at the end. Right? I'm going to take care of all this, Zerubbabel. I, you don't need to worry about it. I'm, I'm going to shake the nations. I'm going to level the playing field. I'm going to establish my kingdom and my authority. I will be exalted among the nations. But Zerubbabel, you, my servant, 
Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatil, declares the Lord, I will, and I will make you like a signet ring. For I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. Now, what God's doing here is very important, and I'm going to get to the main thing underneath it. But before, let's just all get on the same page of what a signet ring is. You guys know what a signet ring is? We don't use it anymore, right? Because we don't need to. We've got different technologies. But in the past, a signet ring was the mark of the king that carried the authority of the king. So when letters were sent out from the king to people who could not FaceTime, who could not call them, who knows that a letter can be taken and forged, it was a sign of authenticity from the king. So therefore, the signet ring carried, it was a specific ring with a specific design and printed into wax or, or whatever thing would show the imprint so that they know it came from the king. It was precious, it was valuable, and it was protected at all costs. Because whoever got a hold of it could do some serious damage with it. And this is true across all kingdoms, right? And we know this, right? Like that we've seen in, in the Bible it used like Jezebel, 1 Kings 21.8. Jezebel used Ahab's signet ring to write decrees. Says, so she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal. And she sent the letters to the elders and the leaders who lived in Naboth, Naboth his, in his city. She used her husband's seal to do what she wanted to do. The king was not ruling. She was ruling. She was taking the authority of her husband and using it. So you, you kept this thing safe. You kept it on your hand, on your arm. You kept it around your neck. Oftentimes they put it on a chain right next to their heart. Keep it safe. Actually, some of you know Song, Song of Solomon. Um, uh, what does it say? Uh, uh, yeah, eight six. Set me as a seal upon your heart, and a seal upon or a seal upon your arm, because your love is strong as death. She's speaking of you. Keep me as an important as important to you. Value me as precious to yourself. Keep me safe within you. Right? We even have a, a, a an Egyptian parallel. Um, that says, oh, if I were only a signet ring that were on your finger, there you would guard me like something which gives you a beautiful life. It was an immensely important thing. I mean, we, we just got past Purim. Uh, you guys know what Purim is? No, okay. Um, it's a holiday that celebrates the, the, the rescue of the people of Israel through Esther. Haman got a hold of the king's seal and sent out letters to exterminate the Jews by the king's seal, right? It's immensely important. It identifies power. It identifies your position. And there's a deep significance to the kings of Israel in what God was doing to Zerubbabel by saying this. Because in Isaiah or Jeremiah 20, 22, 25, 4 through 25, God in his discipline of Judah 
under the evil king Jehoiakim, God said that he was removing the signet ring from him. Right? So, as I live, declares the Lord, through Kohanah, the son of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, where, the, where, where though Kohanah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were, were the signet ring on my right hand, yet I would tear you off and give you in the hands of those who seek your life, into the hand of those who are, of whom you are afraid, even into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, into the hand of the Chaldeans. I'm removing that from you, Jehoiakim. Now, this is his grandson, Zerubbabel. He knows about what Jeremiah was saying to his family and his lineage. He knows that they had lost a lot. What is God saying to Zerubbabel? I am going to redeem you. I am going to make you again into someone who represents who I am in this earth. I am going to renew the promise that I made to your father, David, that I would sit and establish from his seed a king that would rule for all time. You can sit there and you can almost see Zechariah listening and hearing Isaiah 43, 1. But now says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Zerubbabel, I have redeemed you. Do not fear. I am making you again like a signet ring, like a symbol of my authority and my power. I am not going to neglect or deny you. I will be with you. God's compassion was moving toward Zechariah and reestablishing this broken person this exile among the nations back into the plan and the purpose that he had for him. And Zerubbabel, as a, as a picture, a representative of the nation and a representative of the future king who was going to come, stands before God and God says, I am redeeming you. Now, ultimately, this whole picture is putting our mind in focus towards the one who was fully going to come and be God's signet ring here on the earth, who is Jesus. That in the line of David, the seed, the son, the one who was to come was going to be there and was going to level the playing field. The nations were going to rage. They were going to totter back and forth. But God in his wisdom was going to disarm the rulers and the authorities through the blood of Jesus. And God was going to use Jesus like a signet ring, a, a symbol of his power and his glory because that's what his purpose was in the earth. 
And God was doing that with his people, Israel. God has done that with Jesus. And God will continue doing that with his church. Because that's God's priority, his prerogative. He's to call people out of their brokenness, redeem people into people who represent who he is in a clear, accurate way. Zerubbabel, the man who was too terrified to keep his people back at work and let them go off and stop the mission. Zerubbabel, now you will finish this work. Right, you read this and you read it alongside of, turn your, in your Bibles to Zechariah 4, this really famous passage. Verse 6. This is the word to, of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain before Zerubbabel? You shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house, and his hands shall also complete it then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent you. See, after this prophecy, right, it's not, he, he says this, Haggai doesn't say the temple's completed, but we know that four years later, the temple is done. It's completed. Zerubbabel finished the task that he had assigned to him. God is coming right to him. I will make you represent me again. He doesn't say, Zerubbabel, you've got to know everything, do all these things. No, I will do it. The focus at the end of this prophecy is all on the mighty power of God to fulfill what he was going to do through his people. No matter how big or large they are no matter how equipped or not equipped they are. God himself is able to do this. And Zerubbabel becomes this picture, just like Jesus is the image of the invisible God, right? The firstborn of all creation. And he came to a place that was fighting against him. Jesus came into a world that he created that sought to kill him. And God fulfilled his purposes for Jesus, for himself, through all the opposition. Right? He came to a place, they rejected him, they spat on him, they beat him, they threw death at him. None of it kept him from accomplishing what God wanted to accomplish. God raised him up from the dead. God rescued people through him. God showed his power and his majesty and his divinity And who he is through Jesus, absolutely perfect because he is God. And then Jesus turns around and does what? Tells his people that this is what you're going to do. 
You are going to be my witnesses. Acts 1.8. Wait until power comes upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and through the ends of the earth. What does witness mean? What is he talking about? You are going to show the world who I am. You are going to be a signet ring of me in the world. You are going to reveal who God is through your life in the ups and the downs, in the difficulty that is around you, through the pain and the pleasure, all of it. You can be the person who someone sees who God is. You can be the person who carries the authority of God to someone's life to bring them out of death and into life through the power of the Holy Spirit and the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can be the adequate representation of who God is in this world. God's purpose for you, for me, is to redeem you so he can redeem others. God's purpose for you and for me is to work in us in the midst of our problems to build his church in his temple so that God is exalted among the nations. God's purpose in us is that we would know him and the power of his resurrection, that we would trust him and walk with him into the areas of our life that are filled with opposition and not worry about it, but take that worry back to him. To rest on what he's done in the past, rest what he's doing in the present, because the future is 100% secure. Zerubbabel didn't know he was going to be able to finish the temple. Think about day one. I hope I'm here in four years. Crops haven't been producing. I'm pretty hungry. People are hungry. I don't know. I don't know if this is going to happen. Jim bug called out sick. He got, a, got the stomach bug. His kids are running around there. Like, I don't, I don't know how this is going to work. Like, we, we look back and we see a snapshot. Yeah, it did. God worked through Zerubbabel. God finished his temple. We look back and we see the apostles. Hey, whoa, hey, Jesus talking to them. Hey, guys, get, I just, you're not going to understand what I'm saying right now, but I'm telling you right now so you can look back and listen to it or, or think about it. Or someone will write it down and remind yourselves. Um, in this world, you're going to have trouble. But take heart because I've overcome the world. Like We, we look back and we see the life of Paul who uh, was blinded on Damascus, had to humble himself and go to a people he was trying to kill, Right? God rescued him, and then he had, to, he had to humble himself again and go, hey, guys, um, I want to be on your team now. Um, 
I, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, yep. Sorry about Stephen. Um, but God, God did this crazy thing in my life, and I, I, I just, I, I, I love him, and he's changed my heart. That's, we look at that, and, and we just don't grasp the difficulty that he's walking through, right? Beaten to the point of death, like three times, shipwrecked, bitten by a snake, then we're almost worshipped as a god. He's like, okay, well, this is just a weird life I'm living, then he's killed. He's in prison most of his ministry. And God worked his purpose through Paul to build his church that we're still learning from. You will be my witnesses. Right? We say this all the time and we say it again. This is a team sport here, guys. We are all involved in the ministry of God to build his kingdom. Every single one of you who know Jesus as your savior have put their, your faith in him. Whether or not you're walking with him right now or not, he has a purpose for you. And as far off as you've been, he can redeem you back to what he has for you. For the three weeks that you've neglected him, he can redeem you back for his purposes for you. All the mistakes in your life, he actually can use all those things. You know, God's sovereignty for our life includes our stupidity. God's sovereignty in our life includes our personality and our desires and how we see the world and what we want to see and what we're passionate about. That God can use someone who just loves airplanes. I love airplanes. I just want to build one. I want to fly in one. I want to make my own. God can use you to place you in a place to expand his kingdom on this earth. God can work through you in the difficulties of life to build in you a heart posture that reflects the character and nature of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the peacemakers. God can take your rebel heart and turn it into someone who gathers joy by doing what God wants. Like, I know this world is an uproar. Purdue lost to its number 16 team. What in the world? We have all sorts of crazy stuff happening. 2023, the you know, toilet paper shortage is, is, is so faux pas. Now it's bank shortages. There's always something out there to get worried about. There's something out there to 
have anxiety about. There's something out there to have fear about. What's this? Why, why do we have to go through this? Blah, 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 blah. Familial relationships that are not easy. Those are the places that God calls you to go into to build his temple. Those are the places that God calls in you to go and be his signet ring. To carry his name. To be the person who admits when I messed, messed up and made a mistake. To be the person who walks in confidence that God has equipped me right now for this period and this time for this problem. And I have no idea how I'm going to work it out. God does. So I'll keep chipping away at it until the Lord reveals himself. This is, a, this is a time right now God desires to work through you to do, yes, miraculous things. You know what a miraculous thing is? Someone who says, I don't believe in God, and the next day goes, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. That is more miraculous than someone who had a leg shorter than the other one and it growing out. Or someone who was blind and now can see. God can work in and through you to reach your neighbors. Your actual, you, you have actual neighbors, I hope. Most of us. I mean, I came from Nebraska. Some people just don't have, their closest neighbor is a cow. You could actually pray that God would rescue and save your neighbor and expect it to happen. Man, God is not concerned about the state of this nation. In, well, hold on, let me backtrack. God is concerned about that. But his primary concern is not how governments rule themselves. His primary concern is about people knowing the love of Jesus. People being redeemed by the love of Jesus. People experiencing the grace of God in their life, not only from, from him, but from people who have already experienced the grace of God in their life. People doing the opposite of what other people expect them to do. Know when they made a big mistake and then go, I can't go to the church because they're all just going to talk about me. And then say, you know what? Fine, Lord, I will humble myself. And then walk into church. And what do they find? People go, man, I'm so glad you're here. I, I know, but I really messed up. Yeah, I heard about that. <laughs> you have no idea what I did last week. You don't know what I did in my life. But that's what the purpose is. God redeems a people from himself and he's not asking us to be perfect. He's asking us to trust him. He's asking us to grow in our faith of him and walk with him. Trust his plan. Trust that he's sovereign. Trust that the nations, no matter what they do, in a moment, he can shake it all level. 
and just live with the confidence that you are his and he is yours. That he loves you. That he protects you. That you are precious to him. And his plans are good for you. Even when they don't seem like it. So, I don't really know how to end this sermon other than to say if you don't know Jesus today is the day if you have not been leveraging your life for his kingdom and his glory today is the day if you've grown cold in your walk with him today is the day. He will revive. He will restore. He will break the pain in your heart and return it with joy. He's a good and gracious God. Trust him. Jesus, we thank you. We love you. We need you. Spirit, you know what your purpose is and what you need to accomplish. So, Lord, we ask that you would work, that you would give us a vision for your purpose for our life, and that in the today, Lord, we would be found faithful. We trust you and praise you in your name.